Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from Stop the Fury, Missouri. And Ray, if you remember the last time we were together, we began to explore the Thomas Kilman model, and you had a mnemonic device for trying to hold on to that model, three C's and two A's, and you commented how that was my average grade point per semester in college. I've at gone the, at back, the high end. At the high end, and I've gone back and checked that out, and you ended up being correct, which really is troublesome. But nonetheless, we're going to move on. And last week, We spent the whole session speaking to the first C, which was competition. This week, we want to move on to the second C, which is collaboration. And so maybe you could just kick us off and start exploring this. I remember the way you framed it up was the situation in which each strategy or choice works best. So the context, the situation. Secondly, the skills required for each of them, the skills you need to have in order for you to be good at that particular approach to conflict management. And then the third one is some of the problems with an overuse of that particular strategy. And so I'm assuming we're going to continue to use that model to help people kind of understand and think through these, what we're calling five different choices and not to think of them as styles or preferences, although people will tend to land in one more frequently than others, but we want them to begin to think about this as a choice you have and you're making regarding how you're going to manage conflict. So jump right in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when you mentioned the word preference in the last episode, I had a reaction that said to me, when people think in terms of preferences, they tend to reduce choice making. They tend to get into things that are habit Yeah, you and I both want to stress uh, in this conflict management, you need to make choices. You need to look at each strategy uh, as uh, most appropriate given its context. One of the things I want to say before we go too far into collaboration was something that occurred to me out of my previous experiences in training about these strategies. When you're with an older group, and I do mean older, the baby boomers are above, the word collaboration is... You don't mean us. You're meaning folks that are even older than we are. We're on the young end of this group I'm talking about. Older, and I was at that time. They don't see the word collaboration as positive. Hmm. While you and I have been stressing the positive nature of being committed to collaboration with others, people who are older remember the word and how it was used during the war days, particularly World War II. When you talked about collaborators, those were traitors, people who collaborated with the enemy. Those are people who you didn't trust. So one of the things I remember from my previous training of leaders in some organizations, they didn't respond well choosing to collaborate, choosing to be a collaborator because of that connotation had in that war effort uh, as a negative. It was a negative, but we we very much intend to use it as a positive. You and I both see it as an important commitment to creating something together with one or more individuals to get an outcome that we think is best for the situation. I still want to push it as an important approach, not just important, a critical approach to getting outstanding answers to difficult problems. And a preferred workplace in working with others. Right, and working with others. And it's generally considered the two heads are better than one approach. 
that you really do believe that others bring something to the party. You don't have to have all the answers. And the outcome is, if successful, is the I win, you win scenario, that both people are winners. Now, one of the things that I have such a strong affection for, such a strong attraction to in collaboration is that if you're successful in collaborating with someone else, the answer will be something that neither of you came into the discussion with. That collaboration is innovative. It's ingenious often in the outcomes that get produced. And it's so worth the effort to actually produce, generate kind of a previously unknown way to address this. Mm. And so I'm, I'm just such a fan of commitment to collaboration because of what results get produced. You know, you use the term win-win, and I'm, I associate that with Stephen Covey. I don't know if he introduced it first. I suspect he co-opted it from somewhere else. But I really liked his concept of win-win or no deal. And the reason I like that is it pushes this envelope towards this alternative choice. Because when we say, no, it's got to be win-win, that is, I want to win, but I also want you to win, and I'm not going to stop until both of us have won, then it does incorporate this idea of, well, if we can't both get there, then it's a no-deal scenario. And so it forces me to push harder towards this third option, this third alternative. And he even coined a term, I think he did coin the term called the synergetic response, where it creates a synergy where we're looking for that third option, whether where we're beginning to push towards a whole new innovative option, as you said. Yeah, I go ahead. Well, and, and when you're choosing to do collaboration, if there's more than two people, one of the approaches to how you end that collaboration or how you resolve it is you do it by consensus. You don't do it by voting mm. because voting creates winners and losers. Voting by its very nature creates a community based on a position, not based on wanting an outcome. And what I learned if we're going to vote is all I have to do is get the right number. Where when you make choices by consensus, you have to get everyone on board. You have to get everyone to buy in. Mm -hmm. So that's another element of collaboration in terms of how it functions is that people have to reach the solution by consensus. You don't vote. You know, and I would be inclined to comment from a communications perspective at this moment to say collaboration often requires a particular form of conversation that we call dialogue. And I know we are planning on introducing that concept in the future, and it may be sometime in the future before we get through talking about managing conflict. But just for the listeners, for them to kind of have a heuristic to hang things on, concept group conversation where there are four different forms, debate, polite discussion, facilitated discussion, and dialogue. And we'll dissect those four different forms of group conversation, but it typically takes dialogue to really engage in a collaborative effort, which pushes towards concept that you're raising, which is consensus. So I didn't yeah. want to add that now and just put that into the, the listeners' minds as we move forward. I couldn't agree more that that word dialogue is a precursor to uh, something we're going to cover, but it is a vital element to being effective at collaboration. Boy, we are really good. We're really thoughtful. <laughs> we're really good at this, you know? <laughs> Let's, since we're so good, let's keep going. Okay. <laughs> One of the things that we, we want to talk about in collaboration is the context uh, that you need to be looking for in order to believe collaboration will work. Contextual element of a conflict that would make collaboration a key strategy is that the solution, whatever it's going to be, integrates the ideas of all those involved. It's not heavily weighted in one person's direction. It integrates, it, put all, it puts all the ideas of everyone involved into the pool of discussion. When you want learning to take place, you want to collaborate. Hmm. Part of the process is you want people to learn from this. You want people to be more insightful, more alert, more aware. And collaboration is a strategy you want to use to resolve the conflict. Now, let me ask you this, because when you raise that, we've had a couple 
people talk to us about conflict situations they've been in. And one of the ones that comes to mind is a feeling that on the part of the individual that shared their conflict, that the other person is shut off. They're not interested in learning. They're closed off. They just want it one way, their way. To what degree and how hard is it to push towards a collaborative choice when you're confronted with people who really are not inclined to learn or are not interested in learning from the experience, simply want to push it, get on with it and get out of it? Any thoughts on that? Or maybe I'm premature in asking that question. My initial thought is for me, if I run into someone who's closed off, who just wants to end things, just wants to have it over, then I begin to put some pressure on them to try and have them help me understand why they're there. Mm. Too often, we let those people escape Mm. without accounting for their position. We let them with their adversarial nature or their hostility, just kind of bow out or take, uh, I'm, I'm taking my ball and going home routine. But I then put some pressure on to get them to respond. Well, can you help me understand what it is that's causing you so much discomfort about this particular situation? What makes it most uncomfortable for you? Often when people begin to have to talk in their own defense, they begin to sense how shallow Hmm. some of their position is. So that's one thing I would say is I, I back off my asserting anything or my interest in solving anything to get to their position, put some pressure on them to have to make known to the rest of us what their issues are. So you back off asserting your position, but you don't back off in terms of keeping the pressure on in the conversation to push a resolution that is satisfactory to everyone. So it is a case that collaboration is not always about being nice, always about being polite, always about cooperating with the other. It is about pushing and challenging and forcing the issue in hopes of finding that uh, third alternative. Yeah, I think if I were talking about a kind of a picture of it, when you're collaborating, you're trying to get everything into the middle. You're trying to get everything to everyone to submit something, to contribute something and dialogue or converse about what's there in the middle. Mm -hmm. But when you get someone pulling out, then I change focus from putting everything in the middle, putting everything on them Mm. and saying, okay, what is it about this that's making you quite this uncomfortable? Interesting. That you want to back out or you don't see any hope in it or you see it as being fruitless and prompt them to to respond so that they have some accountability for their position. Mm -hmm. That'd be my natural inclination. Okay. Helpful. Okay. Another, another picture of a context for collaboration is when you want perspectives to merge and that's part of the goal. And part of the goal isn't just to get an outcome that you want people to get combined insight. You want people to share a picture of things, uh, whether it's a vision or it's a problem and you want people to share a picture of it. Collaboration does that for you. Mm. It merges people's views. Another contextual element is when you want to get buy-in, commitment to the outcome. When you collaborate and you reach consensus, by definition, consensus means everybody owns it. Hmm. No one gets a pass. No one can say, I didn't vote for that. No one can say, nah, I didn't want any part of that. If you've come to a collaborative outcome, you've reached consensus on what the best solution is for this situation. So you get commitment to the outcome. You know, you asked me to share a story some time ago that in your mind, reflected this concept of managing conflict through collaboration. And it was a story of me with a colleague and I was selling a car to this person, uh, you know, an older car. And it was yet a really solid car in my mind. And he was really concerned about whether it would hold up. So in our talking, in our conversation, in our negotiation, it became clear that price was not as important an issue as I thought it was, as the stability of the car, the longevity of the car was a clear issue. So as we began to talk through this, and I'll treat it as managing a conflict where we were trying to manage this conversation, he was 
more than willing to pay a certain price, but he was uncomfortable with what would happen if the car broke down once he owned it. And so as we were talking through it and we were trying to get to a common position, I offered up in the conversation. I said, well, let's do this. Let's agree on that price. And then let's just say that within the next year, if anything happens to the car of any kind of major consequence in terms of maintenance, I will pay for that. So you're kind of assured and guaranteed that you're not going to incur a lot of extra costs once you own this car. Now, that seemed to be very agreeable to him. And because of my confidence in the car, that was not an issue for me. So we ended up, me selling the car to him, having one minor issue, no major problem, but one that I was more than glad to pay for in terms of him having to maintain the car over the course of the first year. And he owned the car for years after. I think one of the side benefits, and this was something I don't know if you want to speak to, but for me, my underlying concern was our ongoing relationship. That if if that car failed on him, we were very much involved in a a group together. And I was pretty convinced that our relationship would go south. He held me responsible for selling him a lemon. And so for me, it was very important that I protect the relationship as much as it was protect the selling price or the price of the car. So in that case, we did a couple things. One is we reached that third alternative. It wasn't just about selling the car for a given price, but it was about selling the car with essentially a a year guarantee to protect him. And it was kind of a win-win. And so I think both of us walked away feeling, well, that was a a good arrangement and we still are long-term friends. Any reactions to that as it fits in what you're talking about? Oh, I think think that's brilliant. I remember when you shared the example with me, I thought that was a brilliant result, a brilliant outcome, because neither one of you walked in with that idea to begin with. Mm -hmm. But in the course of your conversation, in the course of identifying what both of you felt you needed to benefit from the sale, that was the outcome. And both of you did benefit. And one of the things I am going to say about collaboration is that when you use collaboration in an effective manner, it always improves or at least maintains the relationship. Hmm. Great observation. All the other strategies put the relationships at stake. So it is the only strategy when used properly, effectively, you can literally guarantee that the relationships involved will be held stable or they'll improve. That's great. It's automatic. And by the way, I'm so glad you used the term brilliant in reference to that particular experience. Because as you know, a listener listening in, and we cited her last episode, saw us both as adorable and brilliant. Now, I'm still working on adorable. It's hard for me to get there. But I am glad we're reaffirming the brilliance of what we do. Well, that was coming out of my acorn background. And my BritBox, British Brilliant. Okay. So th- that's the context for you to consider, you to consider using collaboration. Now the skills needed. Uh, first and foremost, if you're going to be good at collaboration, you have to you have to listen. You have to commit to listening. You have to commit to inviting the other person to make what they need in this situation incredibly clear. And I'm going to reaffirm there that you're talking about active listening, not passive listening. We active. That's so much in the past. So you're saying you've got to be really committed to what we have talked about in the past as active listening. Yeah, you're using the skill we've described. Yep. Another skill you need to be good at is you need to be able to push back in a non-threatening manner. Hmm. Collaboration is not concession. Collaboration is not trying to appear nice so the other person doesn't get offended. Collaboration is pushing back in a non-threatening manner to make things clearer. I think another skill is you need to be willing and able to analyze all the input. People offer information. You have to consider it. You have to analyze it. You have to see where it fits. And when you've got that skill, you can make sense out of those contributions quickly on the group's behalf. Another skill is, and and this is one you're going to refer to dialogue again, but you have to be able to balance 
inquiry with advocacy. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to advocate your position, but you also have to be able to inquire regarding the other person's position. You have to balance those. So to make a collaborative choice, you really can't engage in the idea of I'm just going to out debate this person. I'm going to make my argument stronger. And if they're not responding, I'm going to even make them stronger still. And you're saying, ultimately, that doesn't move towards a collaborative position. No, you've got to balance that. There needs to be some advocacy. You need to advocate. So the person knows the value of what you're suggesting is important to you. But at the same time, you need to inquire in order to get a good picture of what the value is to the other person, of their position. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I think, and this is a tough one, one skill you need to develop is to suspend uh, your personal views temporarily. Often people come into conflict with views that are so traditionally offensive to you or so traditionally off-putting that you don't even want to consider them. But it's exactly at that point you need to suspend your personal views temporarily, not permanently. You need to put them aside so that you can stay open to whatever the contributions of the group are. Any suggestions on techniques to, to make that happen? I'm saying easier, but oftentimes we hear that. I talk with people and say, you know, you need to suspend your assumption, not give them up, but you need to suspend them. And they have no clue as how do I even go about doing that? Any thoughts on a technique or something that could do well, that? It's not very original, but one of my first thoughts is if I found myself getting offended, I need to consider it my problem, not the other person's problem. The moment I see it as their problem, I've closed the door on staying open. But the moment I see it as my problem, I can back off and say, okay, that's my problem. Let it go temporarily and let's go forward. Let's hear what else is going to be said. Okay. Yeah. And a technique I would add to that conversation is that if we simply paraphrase or restate what the other person said out loud, it gives us an opportunity, space to think about it. And it also gives them an opportunity to hear what we heard them say. And therefore, we can get greater clarity. So just by paraphrasing or restating uh, what they've said gives us a few moments to get at that and suspend our own assumptions before we leap into there and make some statements that probably don't add to the collaborative effort. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Now, uh, let me see if I can quickly go over what will happen if you overuse this. And this is the big, this is the big one. This is the most uh, negative byproduct if you overuse it, is that you spend too much time on trivial matters because to be committed to collaboration, you have to take time. You cannot rush it. You cannot force people to say everything they need to say as quickly as you'd like them to say it. So there are times that it takes a lot of time and that's why people stop. Mm. This is taking too much time. Another thing is that often in collaborative efforts, there's a diffuse sense of responsibility. It's like no one's taking responsibility for all responsibility. So that can that can occur if it happens over and over and over. Another, and this is less likely, but it happens when you're making an effort to collaborate, people can take advantage of your commitment to getting everyone's input. They're going to hold out and they're going to keep delaying mm. your committed to getting their input. So that can be, a, I, don't, I don't find personally that happens all that often, but it can happen. And then finally, you get a lot of innovation but there's, there's a chance that that will take over. If you're in a work setting, there's a chance that the commitment to innovation takes over productivity. Mm. In other words, people are not going to be productive until they feel like they've been innovative. And that's in a work setting. You can't wait for that. You've got to constantly be attentive to productivity. So I would say this, the downsides, even of overuse of this strategy are minimal compared to the downsides of the overuse of the other strategies. I was going to ask, given that we're running out of time, how would you summarize this particular choice option? I mean, you said it's your favorite. It's our favorite. Clearly, we think this is one people all make a greater attempt to really choose to do. But any thoughts on how you would summarize this for the listener? 
Well, just recognizing, considering that this requires the most discipline, requires the most focus, the greatest commitment. There's nothing fast about it. You're very deliberate. Aside from that, I don't think that there's a downside. I just think that it has those parameters to it that if you violate them, you can't you can't produce collaborative result you really want. And as you say that, I think, well, this then requires probably the most energy because you've got to be willing to invest energy to opt for this choice because you you can't go in thinking this isn't going to take any effort. This is going to, it most often is going to take a lot of energy and a lot of effort. Super. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk 46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast. 